Hey everybody, this is Reba. Many of you guys know that I was a basketball coach, former volleyball coach on the college level. And so I'm pretty excited about our discussion today. Today we're going to do an incredible interview with a guy by the name of Raul Hernandez. Now Raul lives in uh, St. Pete, Florida, and he has been an athletic director and a coach for 25 plus years. And today we're really going to kind of dive into the world of your kids and sports, whether that be little kids playing, uh, you know, ball in a league or a local YMCA group, or whether it be a high school student who's really wanting to go far and looking to play club sports or club ball, looking to maybe play travel ball. And Rollo gives us a really great perspective on what that looks like to help kids find balance and worth in their lives. You do not want to miss this podcast today um, if you have a kid and if you are involved in sports in any way. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Rooted Deep podcast with Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. And today we are sitting, all three of us at one time or another, or are currently coaches. And so this is going to kind of be a, a new topic that we haven't discussed before, but I think it's one that's really timely. And just a few weeks ago, my husband and I sat down with Raul Hernandez and uh, just sat and listened to his heart. He's a coach. Uh, he's been a coach for, for, for a very long time. He's the athletic director at Northside Christian School in St. Petersburg, uh, Florida. And it's just, it was a great time to just listen to him talk about the, the importance that he has, the passion that he has for sports, but also the passion that he has for his student athletes to just love the Lord. And so we wanted to bring that conversation to you guys and kind of amplify it a little bit because we're all, all of the parents out there, are their kids are just, uh, from the time they're two up until the time that they're 18 or 19, they are just in a sport, if not three or four sports. And, um, and so I just wanted to talk, we just thought it would be a great time to talk to Raul about the importance of balancing your, your sports uh, in your home as well as the spiritual walk. So I want to we want to get started. Raul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we'd like to just hear your personal testimony. My husband and I sat down with you a few weeks ago and just enjoyed just listening to your story and how it moves forward and how much you love the Lord. It's just obvious. So go ahead and give us your testimony, please. Well, Allison, great to see you again. And it was great sharing with with you and your husband a few weeks back. And Reba, great to meet you as well. Yes. Fellow college coach, thanks for uh, for serving in that capacity. Um, there were two watershed moments for me growing up. The first one was um, very quickly. My mom and dad. Um, I'm from I'm from Cuba, um, that beautiful island uh, about 90 miles south of of the Keys here in Florida. And uh, my mom and dad were dating. They were very very young, and uh, my mom ends up getting pregnant uh, during that time. And three months into her pregnancy. Uh, looks at my dad and says, look, I don't want my son to be raised uh, in, in, a, in a country where he's got, not going to have very many freedoms. And so she makes a decision to leave. And my dad, being 20 years old and kind of really overwhelmed by that, decided to stay. So my mom hopped on a plane, uh, three months pregnant, and headed to Madrid, Spain. 
uh, in Madrid. She waited out her pregnancy. Six months later, I was born. And then three weeks after that, hopped on another plane and came to Miami. And uh, so that's where I grew up, uh, raised by a single mom, uh, working a couple of jobs. And, and so that was the very the, the first big decision that, that took place that affected my life is my mom opting for freedom and giving me the opportunity to be raised here in America and, and have the chance to, to develop and, and so forth. Um, I came to know the Lord uh, later on, but before that, one of the, another key moment in my life was, uh, which ties into how, how did I get involved in sports? Uh, I've served as, as an athletic director for 25 years at the high school level, and I've coached for 24. And uh, at the age of five, my mom was at work, uh, and, and she was sharing with one of her coworkers that she was a little bit nervous about being a single mom raising a boy uh, in the United States and uh, with no father, no uncles, no grandparents, no older siblings or anything. And the coworker looked back at her that day and said, look, it, let me give you a bit of advice. I said, if you're going to, she said, if you're going to raise your son here by yourself, if you don't stick him in a sport soon, the streets of Miami are going to eat him up. And my mom took that to heart. And that same afternoon, she picked me up from the YMCA and signed me up at a local baseball academy, which in Miami in those days, and even today, uh, there, there's an academy almost at every ball field that you can find. It's just a, a hub for, for the sport. And so she signed me up at a baseball academy there. And um, the rest is history. I was fortunate enough to play through my youth, through middle school and high school, and and had the opportunity to play college baseball after that. So. That's where I really was able to meet a lot of friends, um, started to, to get influenced by coaches. And, and so that was a, a big moment, big key decision that my mom made in my life to set me on this course uh, with sports. Growing up, uh, we weren't churched. Um, most Cubans would tell you that they're Catholic by birth, but really we don't go to church typically. The mo most of us don't. And so I really grew up believing that there was a God, but not really understanding what salvation was or how to even have a relationship with him. Um, at the age of, of 19, uh, you, you'll like this. I was invited of all places to an Amway conference in Atlanta, Georgia, if you can believe that. <laughs> and so I was a sophomore in college and a buddy of mine invited me to this conference. And of course, I, I wanted 19 years old. I wanted to be a millionaire by the age of 25, right? Like most kids. And so I went to this conference, which was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was a leadership weekend, and we were staying in a Marriott uh, down in downtown Atlanta. And so Friday and Saturday, we sat through the business conference, and it was great. It was very uh, encouraging, inspiring. A lot of information was given out. But then Sunday morning, I'm in my hotel room, and I get a knock on the door. And it's the guy who had invited me, a friend of mine named Felix. And he, he was dressed in a three-piece suit. So I opened the door, and I said, what, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm going down to the function. And I said, the function? He said, yeah, the weekend, I, I told him, I thought the weekend was over. I thought this was over last night. And he, he, I believe the Holy Spirit used him to use these words. He said, technically it was over last night, but the weekend would not be complete without this morning. So I, I got dressed, headed down to the conference room that we've been sitting in all weekend. And there was the same 3,000 people that were there, same uh, people that I had met throughout the weekend, they were sitting there. The difference this time is there was a gentleman by the name of Ken Smith, who was a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, who happened to be the chaplain for the Florida State Seminoles at the time for Bobby Bowden. And this gentleman began to preach the gospel. Uh, and I had never heard of the gospel 
Uh, never heard the gospel in my life. Never heard of the plan of salvation. And 20 minutes in, into his talk, keep in mind, I was unchurched, so I didn't understand what was next. I didn't understand that there would be some type of an altar call or an invite. Right. But 20 minutes into his conversation, the, the heart was wanting to beat out of my chest. I, I just <laughs> couldn't understand what was happening. And I kept looking around the room at the 3,000 people who'd been there with me all weekend and wondering, is this something I'm going through or are they feeling the same thing? But because I didn't know what was next, I, I, I mean, Allison, I couldn't sit there anymore, honestly. That, that's the best way I could describe it. So I just got up and walked towards the front of wow. the stage, right? And uh, so, of course, it's an, odd, it's an awkward moment, right? You have a, a pastor who's speaking, 3,000 people sitting in a room, and here's this 19-year-old kid walking up to the, to the stage uh, unannounced. And so this usher comes over and says, is everything okay? And I said, yes, sir. And of course, I didn't have any of the church lingo, like I need to be saved or I need to be born and none of that stuff. So I just said, look, I just I just need God is what I told him. And uh, he hugged me and I started to cry. And um, Ken Smith kind of noticed, you know, you're speaking in, in, in on the stage and he's noticing this young man walk up and one of his ushers is hugging him. So he stops uh, his message and looks over and says, is everything OK? And the usher looked at him and said, sir, everything is, is perfect. This young man just wants to receive the Lord. And Pastor Ken, who today, he's still a great friend of mine. Uh, he's a pastor up in, up in Thomasville, Georgia right now. He, uh, he just stopped and said, look, I, I don't have to say anything else. Does anyone, does anyone else want to receive Jesus? And like 300 people came forward oh, wow. uh, at that moment. So uh, that's how I came to know Christ. Fortunately for me, at that meeting in Atlanta, there was a gentleman from Guatemala who was there at the meeting who had recognized me from the meetings in Miami. And he walked up to me and said, Raul, I just want to tell you, my name is Carlos. Um, you don't know me, but I, I have seen you at the Amway meetings in Miami. And um, I just want to let you know the decision you made today is the most important decision you'll ever make. And he said, I, I want to be able to help you find a church and, and mentor you and stuff like that. So I was 19. He was like in his 40s. I thought that was weird in Miami. That is a weird move for an older <laughs> man to come to oh, a 20-year-old, wow. 19-year-old. Uh, that, that was looked upon a little bit skeptical for a lot of reasons. But uh, I said, sure. So this guy, for the next three years, uh, it became his mission to make sure he mentored me, discipled me. He brought me to church. He also led my mom to Christ uh, shortly wow. thereafter. So this this gentleman made a significant impact on my life. So that's how I grew in the church. And um, I later became a youth pastor at that church. And uh, and the rest is history from there. Oh, that's incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, what a what a what a testimony of just an opportunity, how God just kind of wove your life uh, and use sports to do that. So you grow up in the sports environment as a young man and you're right. playing sports. Now you're at this Amway meeting, you trust Christ. And so right. what gets you from, I want to be a millionaire uh, sure. and, I'm, and I'm trying to figure out how to do that through Amway to right. I'm an athletic director because that's far from sure. a millionaire. So No, absolutely. So the neat thing about the Amway business is, is I learned a lot of, a lot of things uh, that would help me later in ministry, like people skills, how to conduct meetings, how to uh, uh, build teams. Uh, so there was a lot of things that I really took away from the Amway business. Uh, that would help me later on in life as an athletic director. Today, for example, I have 71 coaches on my staff. So I have to, wow. I have to make sure that I'm mentoring these guys, uh, not just in the sport, but in their marriage and their family life, uh, helping them balance out their times at home as well. 
and not letting sport overrun or overtake their schedule. Um, but, but where where athletics connected is, of course, once I got plugged into the church, my passion for winning souls uh, overtook my desire to be a millionaire. And so shortly thereafter, when I plugged into church, I, I became uh, the, the youth minister at the church there, um, started working, uh, building a youth group and using, believe it or not, a lot of the same principles that I learned in the Amway business with building small teams and, and groups and things like that, which is really what, what the network marketing world is all about. It's about building teams. And so I translated those. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I graduated from college um, and did not really have a, a set uh, plan of what I wanted to do. And this is where a key moment, another key moment for my life came in. My my former athletic director at the high school I graduated from, he was also involved in the Amway business. And he was like a mentor, like a father figure to me, the father that I kind of didn't have growing up. And one day he kind of heard that I was just kind of not really, I just really didn't have a plan. And so he took me out to lunch on a Friday and he said, Raul, what's, what's the plan? And I said, coach, I, I really don't have one. Um, you know, I, I, I'm involved in church, but I don't have a plan for my career. And he says, okay. So he said, Monday morning, I want you at Miami Senior High at seven o'clock. That's the school that he worked at as an athletic director. And I served or I graduated from. And he says, I want you there at seven. And I said, what, what am I doing? He goes, you're going to substitute teach. And I said, coach, I've, I've never been in a classroom. He goes, you will, you will be on Monday. And, uh, and then he said, what, what are you doing at 3.30 when you're done? I, he said, let me guess. You're doing nothing. And I said, uh, you're right. I don't have a plan either. He goes, great. You're going to meet me on the baseball field because you're going to now start coaching the JV baseball team. And I said, coach, I've never coached. He goes, you, you will on Monday. So Monday, <laughs> Monday I show up and uh, he's got a paper for me ready. I'm, I'm substituting the science class. And then at 3.30, um, I started coaching the baseball team. And, and so what, what happened and, and how I became an athletic director is I started sub, subbing every single day. So I would show up. I was what they called a pool sub, which means you show up no matter what. And then they just find the class for you. And I started subbing every day. But here's, here's where I think God really started to use um, uh, Coach Nunez in my life is every time I had a period off, uh, a free period or something, I would walk down to his office and I would just sit there. And I would watch him work. I would watch him handle coaches. I would watch him deal with vendors. I would watch him create a schedule or schedule the transportation services for the teams or deal with a kid who was about to be ineligible because of a grade point average situation. So I just watched him work. And honestly, I fell in love with what he did. But I think more importantly, I fell in love with who he was and, and how he handles his life. And he was a believer as well. And so then two years after substituting and coaching the JV team, uh, I was offered an opportunity to be the assistant athletic director at a small school in Miami called Miami Christian. And uh, I became an assistant there for two years, um, learned a lot. And then I had the opportunity to become a, an athletic director at another school that was a K through eight. So it was an easy way for me to cut my teeth uh, without the enormity of, of, a, of a big program. And, and so subsequently, God brought me to uh, Northside Christian School that I've been at for 16 years. So that's how the AD role started uh, with me. It started with the influence of one man uh, who was really a mentor and a father figure to me. And one decision he made to take me out to lunch on a Friday to take out a 19-year-old who really didn't have a whole lot of direction other than he, he knew the Lord, um, he took me out. And so through that, uh, coaching became obviously a huge platform for me. 
uh, to reach kids for for the kingdom. Uh, it, it was uh, two loves that I had, a love for the game of baseball and a passion for the Lord, and I combined the two uh, for 24 years. That's really neat. One of the one of the ways that I've noticed just in the minimal time that I had as a coach and teacher, and I know Reba, Reba has experienced this too because I've met the players that have played for Reba and, and as a coach, you really have a chance for some reason. You see kids at their best and at their very worst on the ball field a lot more, I feel like, a lot more than you see when you do in the classroom, you know, and so that's that's one of the things that I really enjoyed as a, as, um, as a sports, as a coach of whatever sports that I was able to, to get involved in. What are some, what are some ways that coaches and parents have that they can, you know, within the sports community, Hey, I, I want to impact these students, you know, for like, not just for eternity, obviously that's our, that's the goal. But like you said, you've brought in themes of, of leadership and, and mentorship in there. What are some ways that coaches and parents have been able to take that you've seen to impact these players and, and student athletes? Right. Well, the first thing that for coaches in particular, right, coaches have to understand the platform they have. They have to understand that a coach is one of the most influential people in the lives of any youth. Um, you know, Billy Graham said at one point that a coach can can do in one day what you know it takes a lifetime for someone else to accomplish. So, you know, someone else said that the most influential words in the English language is, in the English language are coach said, you know, <laughs> you could be around the dinner table and listen, I, I've had three daughters who all played sports. And even at my house, uh, we'll have conversations and, and every now and then they'll say, well, coach said, and, and I'm like, yeah, I appreciate coach, but I'm your dad. And so the, the coach has a tremendous amount of influence. And, and once coaches understand that, uh, then they understand the platform that they have. Uh, one thing I, the, the worst piece of advice I ever got as a young coach, a young 22 year old coach is I had another coach tell me, don't ever talk to parents. And he literally said, they're the devil. Don't, don't ever talk to them. And, and I think that came from the mindset of you want to keep them beyond the fence. You just don't want to deal with them because they're, they're going to cost you your job one, at one point or something. And, and I tried that my very first year. I did. I, I, I purposefully did not talk to parents only to find out it was the most miserable year I've ever had as a coach. And what I learned right away at 22 is that if I don't partner with these parents, I have no shot at making an influence or making an impact on the lives of these people. So for me, my philosophy as a coach has always been, I need to partner with these parents. The parents and I, it's like a marriage. We need to be on the same page if we're going to make any headway with these kids. And when you have a relationship with those parents, and you have to call a parent and say, hey, uh, Cody, Cody isn't doing well today at practice. They know because there's a relationship that you have uh, that young man's best interest at heart, that you're not calling because you're trying to get out the kid or, or, or something like that. I also call parents when things are going well. I'll, I'll text them and say, hey, Johnny had a great day of practice today, man. He, he was really um, on it. He was, he was locked in and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's building that relationship with the parent. So that ultimately what they're saying on the dinner table is the same thing you're reinforcing on the practice field and vice versa, right? And so you're edifying one yeah. another. The parents edifying the coach, coaches edifying the parent. I'm telling him, I'm telling my players, you guys need to listen to your parents, right? Your parent is your authority. Um, you need to honor them. And so then they're doing the same thing at the dinner table. They're saying, hey, you need to be on time. You need to respect coach. And when that's, that kind of synergy works between the two parties, then the kid doesn't get a confused message. He doesn't get a mixed message. And, and all of a sudden, what you both are saying are, are resonating with 
that young lady or that young man. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've been on the coaching uh, floor uh, with uh, with basketball and with volleyball. Um, I coached for six years, but it's been a while since I transitioned into working and starting Dear Form Ministries. And I know, but I'm still, I'm still that. There's that coach, coach always. Yeah. yeah, I'm still a coach. It's 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 sure. forever in me. It will not leave. Um, and I'm still connected a lot to sports and opportunities that are kind of surround it. And man, sports has changed uh, so much. I think um, you know, as you see that trickle down effect from what's happening at the professional sports level as it trickles down into the college level, which trickles down into the high school level which ultimately ends up trickling down into your little leagues and and into your Pop Warner footballs and to all of these other things as you just watch the change trickle down. But I think, you know, you're sitting in it right in the middle of it right now. So how have you seen sports and students change as regard to sports, you know, in the last 10, 15 years? Sure. There's been a lot of changes, um, but but sometimes I think my generation, I'm 50 years old, we, we like to talk about how back in the old days, you know, um, you know, kids uh, respected this. And re- the reality is there was a lot of disrespect back then. We just ha- happened to have a lot of amnesia sometimes when it comes to those things. But where, where I think sports has changed a lot is, of course, the, the, you know, social media has changed things a lot. So, for example, you're a father sitting at home and your kid plays soccer, right? And now all of a sudden you're scrolling through social media and you have a buddy, a friend of yours that lives in Virginia, and, and, and he's putting a video on of his son doing training on a Sunday, uh, two hours of training with a personal coach. So all of a sudden, you pop out of your couch, and you grab your son and go, hey, let's go out to the backyard. And so there's, there's this pressure that didn't exist when I was growing up, right, of the social media, what is everybody else doing, that I think is, is prevalent today. Uh, where sports have changed a lot as well is, is travel. And club sports. Um, when I grew up, there was this thing called Legion Baseball, where you played 16 games in the summer, and that was it. Uh, today, these kids are playing year-round. A lot of people will say that another major factor or change has been sports specification. Kids don't play multiple sports anymore. They're focused in on, on the one sport. And uh, there's a lot of argument about um, about the benefits or, or, or the negatives of of, of uh, sports specification with, uh, I think the, the research has shown uh, overuse injuries, right? Especially with sports like baseball and volleyball and knee injuries and, 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 and those sorts of things. So there's, there's a lot of that, but the other side of that coin is, you know, you're being told, Hey, let your kid play multiple sports. And, and so your kid is a baseball player and then he's going to take a season off to go play football for instance, but all of his friends are still playing baseball. And so now you're feeling, wait a minute. And, with the idea of playing multiple sports, I'm going to, I'm going to be left behind because I think you would agree Reba that if you don't play a sport on a regular basis, you're, you're, you're just not going to keep up. Right? right. And so there's that pressure of, 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 you know, being sports specific and playing it year round. Uh, and, and so that's where it's changed. I think a lot of parents, uh, another big change of course is parents are pouring a lot of money into, yeah. into that child's sport, whether it's through the travel uh, organizations, uh, taking private lessons. Listen, we have coaches here that do private lessons at $60 an hour. And, and that's a big deal. Um, so when parents are forking over that kind of money, um, between equipment, gear, travel, hotel expenses, flights, um, travel, uh, you know, personalized coaching, 
they're expecting an outcome. They're expecting uh, a result at the end of it. And that result for many of those parents is, is a college scholarship of some sort, right? And, uh, and so that is a lot, that, that's a lot of the changes that have been going on. And that's created, uh, it's a lot of what Allison uh, and I talked about is it's created a situation where these kids tying it back into faith, they, they don't, they've abandoned church because they're now pretty much sold out into this, this travel club uh, world, which goes year round every weekend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, when I was playing and coming up and, you know, about the, you know, you didn't hear, there, there was no, I mean, there, they existed, but it was the rare thing. Everybody played yeah. multiple sports. There wasn't a whole lot going on as far as private lessons. Uh, you know, you might go to a clinic, you know, and go right. and be a participant in a college clinic somewhere during the summer and try to hone your skills up a little bit. Uh, or try to get seen by the, that particular school because you wanted to get on their radar early exactly. on. Um, but, you know, but it wasn't a thing where you've got that regular season ended at school and you went straight into travel ball or you went, right. you know, or you're playing on a, you know, an AAU league, uh, you know, group. And, and then it's, it's constant. Uh, and yeah. then the pressure, the pressure then is so elevated Um for that, that it becomes everybody expects to be in the percentage of kids that are going to get that scholarship. And I think Correct. it's such a battle for the kids, even in their area of worthiness and in their area of, of who am I? Am I just what I can produce on this field? Right. Um, there's so many things that tie into their own um, their own self. I, I'm going to use that word self-esteem. It's not one of my yeah. favorite words, but it, it pours so much into who they see and how they see themselves and uh, at a formative time in their life. Right. Yeah. So 7% of high school kids uh, are able to play college at the next level at any level, whether it's a division three program, NAIA, JUCO, division one or two, 7%. Yep. And so we at Northside, we average about 10 to 11 kids that sign every year. Uh, out of a class of about 65, uh, that that's that beats the odds. But we we do work hard to to get uh, to make the phone calls and do whatever we need to do to try to get them a place. Um, but seven percent, and, and so if you think about that, that those aren't great odds. Um, I I think to your point, uh, one of the things that we focus a lot of time is is making sure that these kids, as they're growing up, their identity is not wrapped up in the sport. We remind them constantly that the sport will end sooner than later. And for most, it'll end at high school and some even before that. And so we try to make sure that their identity is centered on Christ and not on a, not on a sport. Uh, the sport is going to fail them. Their body's going to fail them. And if their identity is wrapped up into that, uh, then they're going to find themselves lost uh, when that sport is taken away uh, from them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. You, you shared a couple of stories with Gary and me um, just a few weeks ago of just either whether it was athlete burnout with these kids or just your personal family um, uh, struggle with trying to keep up with all of these, you know, these travel ball and everything. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't just mind sharing a little bit because your heart came out so much in those conversations about, you know, your daughter being able to play um, travel ball or, or even just experiencing some of the students that you've seen experience burnout. Uh, and I, and I, I really appreciated the way you, you shared because I was, I was kind of concerned. I'm not, I'm not a parent, but I, I've got, you know, 
I've, I know just kids and my, my friends have their kids all over the place, you know, and that I've seen them, you know, a, a, a friend of mine traveled, I think from Florida to Arizona for one weekend right. for her 15 year old kid to play ball. And I'm like, that seems extreme. I mean, I, you know, drive driving. We used to hate, we used to like the bus rides for like an hour when sure. I was in junior high, but it's, it's crazy now. But I was wondering if you would share just a little bit of a personal note on how you've seen it, you know, just impact your uh, your family or your school? Sure. So as you can imagine, Allison, when I shared that with you guys, um, you, you can imagine the, the the position I sit in, right? I'm I'm a pastor of a Spanish church here, but yet my my lifelong career has been as an athletic director. So my whole world revolves around sports. So I understand the significance of sports. I understand how important uh, travel and club is to the development of an athlete. Uh, but having all the understanding of all of that world, uh, I'm first and foremost a child of God, and and I'm first and foremost a husband and a father to four kids. And so, how do I reconcile that? Right? How do I balance out um, getting my kids to play a sport, which was so important to me? I saw the value. Remember, at the age of five, my mom stuck me in an academy, yeah. and in essence, that sport became my father, my uncle, my grandfather, and all of that. And by the way, my mom didn't make many of those games because she was out working two jobs trying to keep the roof over that. So that baseball world, that sports world, really kept me uh, from, uh, and again, I remind you, this is the 80s in Miami where Scarface and Miami Vice and and all these things were going on. Sports is the thing that kept me occupied in, 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 in staying off of, you know, gangs or drugs or alcohol or any of that sort of thing. Uh, and so, so the value that I place on sports is high because sports played a significant role in my life. And then obviously it's been my career for 24, 25 years. However, my priority is my faith and, and my relationship with the Lord. And so as a father who values sports, who the sport was significant to him, how do I now reconcile? How do I balance being a father knowing that you want your kids to play sports, but at the same time, understanding the significance of church life, of community within the church, and, and how do I raise my kids in that environment? Well, there's a problem. And the problem is that most club and travel organizations, unfortunately, play on weekends. And so Father's Day, Mother's Day, Easter, it doesn't really matter whether it's club volleyball, whether it's baseball, uh, whether it's lacrosse, it doesn't really matter. These organizations really don't really care much about uh, church community or life or faith or anything like that, for the most part, they just want to play. They just want to compete. And, and a weekend is a great time to do it. And most of these organizations, if you look at their schedules, they they practice or, or play rather in tournaments twice a month at the very uh, minimum, and sometimes even three times a month. Uh, and, and so how do I, how do I, as a father navigate right through uh, raising children that you want them to be athletes, you want them to to experience sports, but at the same time, you don't want to completely disconnect them from from church life and church community. Um, so for me, it, you know, the story that I shared with you, Allison, was my my daughter. I have three daughters uh, that were born pretty close to each other. One currently is twenty; she's a sophomore in college. Uh, Jasmine, my middle daughter, is a, is a freshman at Montre College in Asheville, and she runs track there. Uh, my youngest is going to be a senior in high school. And then, of course, I have my son who's 12. But when my oldest was 11 in sixth grade, going into seventh, uh, I, I put her on a club volleyball team because she wanted to to play volleyball. She loved it. She said, Dad, could I play club? All of my friends are doing it. 
So we we put her signed her up at a local club here in St. Pete, and uh, there's no question that she excelled and she she got better at the sport. But what I started to notice is that we were playing every other weekend, and so as as a pastor, I was having to drop her off on Sunday um, at the local gym or the conference center or wherever they were playing. And then I'd ha- I had to have to run back to church, preach a sermon, and then come pick her up at the back end of things. And at the end of that season, because we've always taught our kids, you finish what you start. We're not going to pull out halfway through a season. At the end of that season, which ran from about March, April to like the end of August, um, I-, I had to ask a soul-searching question for me. And this this may not apply to everybody. Uh, this This only applies to people who perhaps faith is a significant issue. Uh, in their life. And and for me, I I want my direction to drive my decisions. Direction will always drive my decisions. So if I say that I'm a family man uh, and I'm out golfing five days a week with my friends and and not being home with my family, then I'm not a family man. Uh, The proof is in your time. What are you doing with your time and what are you doing with your finances? Those two things will be an indicator of what really matters to you. And so for me, I had to soul search and say, what what am I doing here? Because we're missing, my daughter's missing church every other weekend. Um, what am I doing? So I, I did two things. I, I prayed and I asked God for direction as to, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do here? I'm a pastor, but my world is athletics. That's my career. What do I do about this travel phenomenon, right? And how do I handle this with my own daughter? Um, and then the other thing I did is what I learned to do as a very young, a very young man is I started to look ahead and I started to look at some of the girls that were 17 and 18 in our program that were volleyball players. And I started to ask the question, where are they in regards to their faith? In other words, my daughter was 11. If I stuck her in this club volleyball vortex, if you will, what was going to come out on the other end six to seven years later? And I wanted to see the end product. I wanted to see the end goal of what was going to happen if I stuck her into this crowd. We made this travel commitment of flying all over the place, traveling from gym to gym, Sunday to Sunday, weekend to weekend. What was going to be the outcome or, or the typical outcome? And you know what I found, Reba and Allison, is, is a lot of these girls were, were good girls, but not, not many of them. Had, had a desire at all for the things of God. Not many of them had a desire for church life. Uh, and, and so I, I asked myself the question, what am I here as a father to do? What, what am I supposed to raise my kids to do? And, and as I prayed through that process, uh, you know, I heard clearly from the Lord. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Raul, I did not put you on this earth to raise a Division I volleyball player. I put you on this earth to raise a young lady who would love and fear me and, and and so for me, that was my answer. And, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, my number one responsibility is not to train an athlete, but to train a young lady or a young man who would ultimately love him and serve him for the rest of their lives. And obviously, we know that the decision to follow Christ is an individual decision. This is not an inheritance that each one of my kids has had to make their own decision for the Lord. Right. And so that, that was a brutal moment for me as a dad, because I knew as an athletic director how important club would be in her development. And I knew that if she didn't play and commit to club, that she would be behind. And, and as someone who is competitive as I am, as sports-minded as I am, I, I couldn't even fathom the thought of my kids struggling in a sport, especially with the resources I have. But I had to understand that my main goal 
was I was I was to raise up a young lady uh, and, and young young kids in my own house that that would love the kingdom over everything else. And so at that point, I sat down with my 11 year old and I said, Genesis, here's here's the deal. We, we can't commit to this. And so I told her, I'll do everything in my power to bring training to you, to bring resources, to, to do whatever we need to do. But we really cannot just walk away from church twice a month or three times a month. We're just not going to do that. That's not what God has called me to do as your father. You know, at the, at the young age of 11, she looked at me and said, and said Dad, you know, I, I really want to play, but I totally understand. Um, mm. I, I understand, um, you know, uh, I, I get what you're doing. And today she's 20 years old. She's a sophomore in college. Uh, she's a worship leader um, at, at church. Um, she leads people to Christ. Just this past week, she she baptized a young lady in our church. So so as I look back now, nine years ago, uh, I don't regret that decision one bit because, again, uh, volleyball comes and goes. It's temporary. But but the kingdom work is eternal. And so I, I, I guess I, I told Allison I rolled the dice, I guess, if you want to call it that. But I, I, I just wanted to make sure that my kids uh, and, and by the way, my daughter did play four years of volleyball. She was the record holder uh, for the javelin here at our school. Uh, she was offered a $17,000 scholarship to go to Southern Wesleyan in South Carolina to throw the javelin. Uh, my middle daughter, uh, same thing. She, she was a track and, and cross-country athlete. She's on a scholarship at Montreat College in, in uh, Black Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, she leads chapel on Mondays at her college. My, my youngest one, who's now a senior, she is the student body chaplain for her class. Uh, she also runs track and plays volleyball. So here's the deal. Did they become Division One superstar athletes? Nope. Um, like a good friend of mine told me one time, he said, Raul, we're called to raise Division One Christians, not Division One athletes. And I don't think, sometimes, listen, if, if you do all those things and, and God gives you a Division One athlete, praise God. Uh, yeah. But what I don't want to miss is I don't want to miss the other way, where I've developed and trained this, this phenomenal athlete, and they have no substance uh, of godliness or fear for the Lord or anything like that. So uh, I, I kind of swung the other way. And um, listen, I respect parents who, who have their kids involved in, in, in the club, and every family has to make the choice that's right for their family. For us, uh, faith was just too important. Uh, church life was way too important, and ministry was way too important for me to roll the dice and uh, and 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 not have my girls around that. Oh, it's good. Hey, if you loved what you heard today from Raul, then you want to stay tuned to next week's podcast, where we're going to do part two of this interview with him, and we're really going to dive in to more really great questions. What if your kid's not the best athlete on the team? What if he doesn't always get to start? What if she doesn't make that team? and some other really key questions that help you guide your kids and connect with them through sports. So thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Tune in next time for the rest of this interview with Raul Hernandez. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.
Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, 